Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Keeping the Human in AI, with special guest Sunny Stevie, Lead of Human-Centered AI at Lidos. Sunny, welcome to the show. Thanks so, so much for having me. It's a, a real pleasure. Hey, Sunny, we met probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. It was during COVID though, right? Just after, but yes. Just well, after, yeah. Are just we after. after? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> COVID's with us forever now, like the <laughs> exactly. flu, I'm guessing. Um, and I just love your energy. And then when we started talking just recently, you said, hey, I'm doing this really cool thing in AI. And I said, oh, I got to bring you on the show about embracing uh, generative AI uh, series. But before we get started, because I, I get ahead of myself, Sunny, who is Sunny, Stevie? Yeah. People yeah. want to know. Great question. Well, it all started in the summer of 1979. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know we only have 30 <laughs> minutes here. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about today and a, a little bit of, of my journey getting here. So I lead human-centered AI in our AI accelerator at Lidos. Um, and what does that mean? I, it's really human-centered design and user experience for tools that leverage AI. I'm a human factors engineer. So I'm focused on building solutions that optimize both the human experience and the overall system performance. I'm kind of that that middleman between people and technology. Um, for many years at Lidos, I was a software developer um, focused. I did full stack, but primarily focused on front end. Um, and then I, I completed an MBA and that really brought the perspective of, we need to have value. We need to have a plan um, before we run off in code. And I was a developer that hated redoing my code. Um, which happens frequently when you don't follow a human-centered design process, when you don't have the user in mind from the beginning. Um, so I kind of brought, you know, my background in technology um, and visual design um, and research with that business perspective. And really, that's where it all comes together. User experiences needs all of those skills. Um, and then for the past several years, I've been focused almost exclusively on building user experiences for AI. So th that's really interesting that you brought those all together. I had a similar experience. I went back and got an MBA after I've been doing software development for like yeah. three or four years. I still kept doing software development with an MBA, which makes me extremely dangerous, <laughs> right? Um, because I, I can speak management speak and I understand the value thing. But my, my first um, foray into human factors was my first job out of college. And I was very lucky to have this happen to me. And so I know how valuable it is. I was working for a company that did um, digital radiography. So oh, cool. we were putting together a, um, a computer system for radiologists so that they could look at images and, and, and work through their, their work much faster. And what I learned very quickly was you have to sit with the customer. You have to sit with who you're targeting yes. um, your product for. 
um, and and uh, this human factors guy pulled me under his wing and said, we're going to go sit in a light room with radiologists for a couple days. And I said, wait, I'm supposed to be coding. <laughs> he goes, you have a paper and pencil. That's all you get. And it was fascinating. Yeah. It opened my eyes. Um, yeah, that's a and fantastic approach. Yeah, I learned very quickly what they wanted us to build could not be built at that time. And I went back to my management and I said, we can't, we can't build what you want yet. We can't move images fast enough because these guys were reading images so fast, we couldn't even bring them up on the screen fast enough to keep up with them. Right. Uh, they were using light boards. And so I th that was a, a, a great experience for me. And I think it's the same with AI. A brand new cool tool is it going to be enough to handle all of our problems? That's the big question, right? That's the human yeah. factor part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to that experience for you, I, I do something very similar. Uh, it, the early stages of UX and human-centered design is discovery. And it's where we're doing a number of activities and we're gathering the qualitative and quantitative data that we can analyze to look for friction points or look for um, optimal insertion points or improvement areas. And so I'm dealing, I'm dealing with people, right? I'm, I, I want to speak to all levels of stakeholders, but especially the end user. And uh, I bring in the developers in those early conversations and it's so that they can hear without a translator. Right. I am a translator. Um, I am a mediator, but I, I want them to hear it with their own ear so they can hear the passion. They can hear the frustration. Um, and often yet yeah, you're absolutely right. We might not be able to meet all of their needs immediately. Um, and then that's where because what's so important is building trust at that stage. That's where transparency um, and authenticity authenticity is really, really important. So I think that's fantastic that you had that experience so early on. Um, and it is absolutely something that is part of my process as well. But to the question of so how AI, are you tying, oh, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. You, you were going there. How are you tying that to AI? Yeah. Because it's, it's honestly, it's, it's really interesting. Um, AI in many ways is is not different than any other new technology that I'm bringing to a okay. user base. Um, and in many ways, it's a paradigm shift. <laughs> so it, the ways that it's similar to, it, I'm always um, going to go through my discovery process. I'm always gonna gather that qualitative and qualitative data, and I'm gonna build those relationships with users and stakeholders. Um, that's the only way we can really validate our own assumptions, make sure that we're going down the right development path. And um, anytime I bring a potential new solution to a user base, there's some pushback. Um, there's, you know, humans are, we like our patterns, right? We like our habits. Yeah, and so there's a little bit of change aversion, regardless of the technology. I'm going to have to build trust. I'm going to have to do a little education. I'm going to have to educate myself on the specific nuances of that user's workflow and value propositions. But the paradigm shift with AI is the level of fear I deal with and the level of trust 
Yeah, the trust hurdle is so high when we introduce AI. And that's what I found is it doesn't matter um, if I'm asking a user something very specific about a day-to-day -day task. As soon as AI is mentioned, it becomes almost an esoteric conversation because, of course, they're afraid of um, potential job elimination, right? Ev everyone is worried about that. Am I, what is this AI? Is it replacing me? But the next, there's so many more layers of fear. There's, you know, how does this new AI tool affect my team, my organization, my community, my nation? It goes higher and higher. Sonny, this sounds a lot to me, and you probably didn't experience it. I, I did just a little bit. It sounds to me like the paradigm shift of email back in the 90s. I did not experience I, it. <laughs> you are correct. Right? And, and, and I barely experienced it. And, and there's probably not very many people alive today in the business world that don't re remember not having email. But I do remember talking to some of my colleagues and I even just um, 10 years ago, there were still memos being put in gray envelopes being put next to my cube. Yeah. Memos, right? Um, so there was a major shift when email came in and when the internet started coming, coming across. And I've, I think, and I want your opinion on this. Sure. I think generative AI is that big that it could potentially cause the same kind of paradigm shift we saw in the 90s uh, with the adoption of email at the workplace and at home. Do you, do you see this similar thing? Yes, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, when we think about um, common use of uh, search engines uh, and information retrieval, right? We've, uh, right. we have a couple of great tools out there that everyone uses. And when you think about it, it's actually not a very intuitive or efficient way to get answers, right? We're, we're, what right. do we search for? We get a, a page or multiple pages of results. We still have to go in and sift through the information, validate what we're seeing. Um, and so when you look at generative AI technologies, it's, a, it, it's honestly more intuitive from a user experience perspective. There is pushback because we have to adjust our mental models, right? We're used to using the inefficient. Humans are fantastic at working with inefficiency. We're really great at becoming, in a, becoming efficient in an inefficient world. Now, generative AI is actually more intuitive once we get there, once we shift those mental models. And uh, and even beyond, um, so a real pet peeve of mine is hearing UX UI or UI UX with a slash. Um, UI is a potential product of UX. It's just one of many. Um, we're, yep. Of course, traditionally we're used to using screens, but user experience has shifted to multi-experience, you know, over the last decade, we have voice interactions, we have gesture, we have AR, VR. Um, so 
I'm not only looking at how does generative AI affect the user experience on screens, but how can we now move to voice interactions so that maybe what we're doing on our, our screens is one thing and we're doing that information retrieval through voice, you know, as an assistant with us. So I'm just scratching well, the surface, I, there, but. Yeah. That, I mean, obviously with um, uh, Alexa's or um, Google home or things like that, we're getting more and more um, of these voice interfaces. Yes. Um, but what I am seeing with generative AI is multimodal interfaces at mm -hmm. the same time, right? I can interact with it with my voice and it can respond visually to me. Yes. Yes. Or with text or so I, you know, all the, does all the user interface design principles I was taught in, early in my career go completely out the window. Correct. Um, with gen generative AI, because it's a whole, it's a whole new, a whole new thing that, um, um, is out there, but I want to bring out one point because you mentioned it earlier. Even though it's more intuitive to use, there's still a trust issue. Correct. With generative AI, and should there be a trust issue with generative AI, should we fully trust it or not? No, um, we should never trust anything, <laughs> especially when it comes to AI. I think we need um, a, a healthy level of of mistrust or, or skepticism. And that is dependent upon um, the mission or the tasks that we're trying to complete. And that's one area that I'm very sensitive to um, when planning out user experiences for tools that leverage AI is what needs to be provided to the user so that they can calibrate their trust properly for what they're trying to do, for what their tasks are, what their mission is. And um, it, I, and that's on UIs, right? That's screens. Do I need to provide information? Do I need to identify when something is, is pr being provided by AI? Um, or can it be provided seamlessly behind the scenes? And so there's a lot of research I do in those areas. But in general, um, we don't, the technology is moving so quickly and yeah, it's, it's yeah. changing. I mean, just even this year, it's changing so quickly that to trust implicitly, I think would be dangerous. But, but so I, it, it reminds me again, back to the search engines in the nineties, right? Where um, teachers said, you can't use Google. Do you remember this? Yes. You can't use Google to do your research. You've got to go to primary sources right? Well, the smart kids would search in Google, go find the primary sources and then use them, right? Right. Um, but now they're teaching kids how to use Google. They're teaching kids how to do search effectively. So we obviously trust, but that's been built up over time. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same. You think we'll take the same amount of time with generative AI or will we adopt it faster it just seems like it's moving so fast. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I do think that it will be adopted more quickly. And I think a lot of that has to do with sort of the young professional workforce um, that's coming in that did not go through the paradigm shift of never having email, right? They've always had technology. They've, they've had cell phones in their pockets their whole life. Um, so there is, they are um, quicker to trust. And then, I, you know, I think it is easier to find information 
um, now on what AI models are being used, what were the intent, um, what, what data was, was being used to build the algorithms and the models. Um, so we're able to kind of dig a little bit um, if, if we're interested, many users do trust implicitly, right? And that is, that's, that is dangerous. And it really puts the responsibility on the shoulders of those creating AI to look out for and to kind of protect um, those that would trust implicitly. So I, I'm glad you brought this up. So what can I do? Let's uh, we're, let's say we're going to deliver a new capability to a, a, a customer, and we're going to use generative AI in parts of it and other parts. What sorts of things can I do as a product developer to um, protect um, the the user? from implicitly trusting uh, the information that I'm getting? What, what sorts of things should I be? Because I still want them to trust my product, right? I want right. them to use my product, but I also don't want to give them a false uh, sense of, of data that's coming out of the gen. So what techniques do you think we could use? There. Right. I have no idea. That's why I'm asking. Right. Um, well, I mean, what's interesting, that's why I, I love my job, is this is all unfolding now, right? So we... we I, I know. Yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> of course, we can fall back on, on um, you know, best practices and what principles work to build trust with users with other technologies. But again, there are new approaches okay. that need to be developed. I won't touch on the technical side of things. I work with fantastic machine learning engineers and AI folks who think about things like data poisoning and, and spoofing and, and things like that. I can't speak to that, but from the human well, I don't design, want you to, I want the human, right. <laughs> I want the human factor here. Right? right, right. And I definitely don't want to lead someone down the wrong path there. Um, from the human centered design and UX perspective, we build trust through building relationships, through empathy, and through transparency. And so all along the way, but before we're releasing a product, I have been engaging with users, hopefully for, for months, um, letting them know, these are the features we're thinking about bringing to you, right? And validating whether or not they're useful. If they use AI, I, I try to share as much as I can, again, teaming with my, my amazing AI scientists, consumable information. So I won't even touch AI explainability. That's not that we, we can't explain everything that it, what is happening kind of in that black box, but we can explain our intent what data we used, um, what we're hoping the AI does. And even on the screen, when I talk about like, it, it are, if we're giving recommendations to a user to take an action, make it very clear that this recommendation is, is AI driven so that they can calibrate their trust there. Okay, I might need to dig in. And even providing things like, um, we suggest you do X, Y, Z click here to understand why, right? And giving layers of information um, so that folks can dig a little bit deeper and start to understand, okay, this is what they were intending to do. This is what the AI is supposed to do. And then providing a way to give feedback, 
which is really, really important, um, not only so that we improve our models and improve our AI, but so the user feels like they have a voice and like they're engaged. So if something provided by AI um, did not meet their need, give them a way to provide feedback so they could say, this missed the mark, right? What I need is X, Y, Z. And again, it, it improves our AI, but it also improves our trust with our users. So I'm going to reiterate what I heard because I think it's important. Transparency, number one. Yes. Tell them you're using an AI. Yes. Um, second was um, the um, the layers, the layers of information, right? Mm -hmm. That they can act accessible to them. And third is that feedback loop. Yes. Give them the ability to. I, I love it. I, I think that's that's extremely valuable, especially dealing with AI. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. The name of the podcast is Keeping the Human in, in, in AI, right? What else can I do to make sure when people are saying, well, my job is going to go away and AI is going to take it over, how do I keep humans engaged? And, and there are going to be, just like with email, I don't, people don't recognize, realize this. There used to be typing pools at companies, Right. People that all they did was transcribe what they heard on a, on a recorder. That's all they did all day. Right. Those jobs don't exist anymore. So, yes, there are going to be some jobs that go away. But how do I keep humans in the loop? So what, what techniques can I use if I'm concerned my job might be replaced? What do I need to do? How do I stay how do I keep my humanity? I guess. <laughs> right. I, it's very valid. And again, I think I think we need help here. This is still a new area, but I, I can tell you, I'll share something that happened in the past that made me realize how important this is. So several years ago, I was working on a, a very cool technology that we were producing that we knew was going to be disruptive, it, a true, true disruption. Um, it was going to impact the way work was done, the way work was assigned. It was going to have an organizational impact. And so very early on, because I follow proper human-centered design from the beginning, we started that engagement with users, like I described earlier, where we're kind of explaining what we think they need, allowing them to correct us, do that course correction, but also starting to kind of um, get them comfortable with these potential changes. And we did it through a number of different UX activities, surveys and interviews and observations, but we also um, did these informal brown bags. And it was, it was kind of like, everybody bring your lunch. We're going to, I'm going to show you some sketches, um, get your feedback. We're going to, you know, show you what we're doing with our AI, AI models and features. And I, I went in with r real innocent expectations and what happened was uh, a real emotional explosion when it came to AI, and it was specifically about job elimination. So I had I had people yell at me. I had someone break down oh, in wow. tears. Um, and I I wear many hats. I am that you know mediator and translator and negotiator, but I am not equipped for that that level of of sort of it, emotion. Um, and I realized this, this is that true paradigm shift. And we need to, we need to have answers. Um, when someone says, what, what are you planning for my role? 
And that's not always, you know, as the ones developing technology, that's not always how we're thinking. We're not thinking about necessarily yeah. that greater organizational. Is cool. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and, and we can't, we can't just think about the individual tool or solution. We have to be working with those senior leader stakeholders and make sure they understand this, this is going to potentially really change some of your roles. Like I said, how are you assigning work? How are you structuring teams? And I think we need to be thinking about and working with people who are equipped to deal with that type of organizational psychology and those types of responses and build teams really kind of, you know, user support teams that go beyond help desk and, and trouble ticket things, really like the, the human support team for AI, where when we, you know, on the technical side are, are thinking about introducing a tool, we're working with people who understand the organization so deeply that they're thinking about what can that role look like if, you know, these tasks are automated away. So couldn't I, use, couldn't I use a generative AI to do that for me? Potentially. <laughs> Potentially. I am not opposed. I, 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 I'm kind of joking, but I'm not joking yeah. because those are very complex. Anytime you're a change agent, which which this is this is the, the center of being a change agent, it, you've got to understand all of the organizational um, dependencies and the cultural aspects yes. of everything. It's very, very complex and, and hard for an individual um, to figure out on their own. And I've seen people starting to lean on generative AI on the best way to do that, which I think is funny. I'm going to use an AI to help me with my team whose job is being replaced by a generative AI. Hmm. Right, right. Interesting. Absolutely interesting. I say we use any tools that are at our disposal, again, with that healthy skepticism. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But another thing that's important is understanding that just because AI can do something doesn't mean it should. And so what I'm and what I mean mm -hmm. by that is not just on, you know, the how is AI changing our reality, not at that level, but even on the more granular kind of tactical level of one specific user's workflow. There may be tasks that are repetitive and seemingly mundane that would be ripe right. for AI to come in and automate. But I talk with the user in context to their whole workflow and goals and value propositions. So maybe by doing that task, they're actually deriving some sort of intrinsic value or insight that they use later in their workflow um, that's critical to getting to their goals. And so I have to, you know, work across that whole workflow and say, AI could do this, but if we automate this task away, the user loses that insight. So if we're going to do it, how are we going to give that user the insight they need? What is the alternative the approach? Have, right? See, that's really interesting because a lot of times when we think, we're only thinking of the primary job, not any secondary benefits or tertiary benefits of doing the job. 
uh, which, which I think is, is critical, which, which you just brought out. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty insightful. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot more that we can dig in, uh, into in this, in this space, but we're, we're out of time, which really stinks. It goes by so fast um, when we're passionate. (laughs) It, it, it does. So what, what, one last, um, big question then. Yes. What would your advice be to, um, workers out there who are feeling like my, you know, my job is, is gone. Uh, right. Generative AI is going to replace it. There's no need, no need for me to be here anymore. What, what do I do? What would you suggest to the worker? Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it at, because quite frankly, there are a lot of tasks I do as a UX professional that I wish were automated away. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that does, <laughs> frankly, you know, it is scary. You know, is my role going to be here in a decade? And I think if we stay in that place of fear and opposition, um, that's, that's when we get stuck. It, try to embrace it, try to look at it from that positive point of view of, okay, if I wasn't spending X amount of my day doing those tasks, what could I do? What is the intrinsic knowledge that I have about my role or my mission or my organization that AI can't replace? What skills do I need to pick up now um, to work with the AI or with the new technology um, so that now I'm bringing that the, the value that only the human in that role can bring. So it's, it's, a, it's a mind shift from fear and pushback to embracing and, and taking a holistic look at your tasks and, and being really honest with yourself about, you know, what can, what can be automated or, and it doesn't need to be automated. What could AI assist with, right? Uh, Assist Um, me with. Yeah. I I, I like what you said there. I see generative AI as an assistant. Mm -hmm. It helps me get my job done faster. I can do more with it. Yes. Um, And I get to do the things I like to do. I get to do the things I'm good at. Like you yeah. said, what intrinsic value do I bring? And I think that's going to be the toughest part for a lot of people is they're going to have to search inside a little bit and find out where is my value? And those are tough questions to ask yourself. What value do I bring? Yeah. Um, so that's where we're at. That's the human part of AI. Yeah. And we're all here together, right? We're the, No one has it figured out yet. So we need to keep having these kind of conversations and get more people in the conversation and get more perspectives um, and really be honest and introspective um, and, and be, be a skeptic, but in a healthy way. Um, so yeah, yeah. exciting yeah, like times. That. It is. Hey, Sonny, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.